Testing, can you hear me, Dr. Hamilton? Write in the chat if you want. have to. I, uh, I invited you in as a speaker. Going silent, okay.
have our guest, which is getting them in. Technical, they're coming through. Terry in, and we should be ready to go. Good evening. Welcome to Cliff Burton Friends. We have a special evening for you on our show. I'm going to let my co-host Jim Waddell say hello. And we are still trying to get our one of our guests into the uh, speakers division co-host. But nevertheless, Jim, say hello to everybody. Jim, say hello to everybody. Okay, we're having a little technical difficulty. Um, Jim is definitely connected and we'll keep trying to get him in. But welcome to Cliff Burton Friends. And tonight we have a special guest. We wanna talk a little bit about the Brittany Griner situation. And then we're gonna come on with an interview with our special guest, Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. Uh, one of our guests to help us analyze this situation, and I wanna introduce her, is a young lady named Terry Williams. Terry Williams is a, uh, a former college player, was drafted in the third round to the WNBA in 2001. She hails from Virginia Tech. She was an All-American. She's also a, a teacher, no, excuse me, 
a singer. And yes, she's a scientist who is uh, finishing her doctoral work at Albert Einstein. We've had some trouble and we're having trouble getting her through the line, but her name is Terry Williams. And I'm going to ask her if she can't get through to type some of her responses in the chat, because everyone on the line should be able to see that chat. Terry played uh, professional basketball in several foreign countries. Um, she didn't. She got drafted to the WNBA, but she didn't make it. And she played seven years overseas. One of those countries was Russia. And Terry, mm. I just want you to type in the chat what your experience in Russia was like as a player in 2001. And we'll read it to our audience while we're still trying to get you connected. And I can tell you, we have talked previously uh, while we're waiting on that to come across. But uh, Terry Williams has told me that when she played in Russia and she played for the same team, and I, I hope I pronounce it correctly, M.M. Kettering, it's a funny Russian name. But she played there, I believe, two or three years. And she says she was treated very well uh, while in Russia. Uh, she stated that the Russian citizens want you befriend the Russian citizen, you have a friend for life. Now, I wanted her to come on and tell in her own words um, because I don't want us in the midst of the Brittany Griner situation to get a misconception about all Russian people in the nation are like this. Um, I've had spoken with uh, Ms. Williams extensively. Yes, they're the power power players in that country. It is a communist country, but uh, the citizens, most are poor. Most are trying to make a living just like in this country. And so we just want to, um, we just want to make sure that that point is known. We've also spoke about uh, Brittany Griner's situation um, being caught with the little bit amount of uh, hash, marijuana, etc. And would the how long would she be there or did we think she would be there for nine years and uh, <clears throat> the answer was was no um and and that even in the prison system uh miss williams thought that she would always be treated well no matter how long sh or short of a time that she was there uh that's just the way most of the people in the russian prison system are of that class, they're not of the upper class, and that the fellow prisoners at least would have treated her her well. And I, um, I'm sorry we couldn't get Miss uh, Terry to come get on the line tonight. She's on the line, but we can't get her through technically. But uh, I do want to thank her for being on, and uh, maybe we could get her get her cleared before we're off the program tonight. But again. This is a uh, doctoral candidate, Terry Williams, third round draft pick in the WNBA draft 2001. She's also a Hall of Famer at Virginia Tech for athletics. Uh, this young lady scored over 1,700 points and I think 1,000 rebounds while she was in, in college. So Dr. Terry Williams, or soon to be Dr. Terry Williams, we want to thank you so much for coming on our show. And we're going to have you back on 
we're going to get these lines cleared and um, hopefully tonight before we get off. But if not, definitely in the future. We're going to go to commercial break. We'll come back and we will introduce Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton, our speaker for tonight. Give us one minute. Thank you. Uh, Jim, can you hear me now? Jim, my co-host? Okay, still connect. Dr. Hamilton, can you hear me? Uh, can you hear me? Absolutely, I can. All right. Okay. okay. All right. So tonight's program is um, featured one of the trailblazers from Tennessee, and it's from a book called Title IX, Pat Summit, and the Tennessee Trailblazers, 50 Stories, 50 Years, written by Mary Ellen Patel. In this book, one of those trailblazers that helped move Title IX forward in the state of Tennessee was Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. Let me introduce it to you. Academically, she holds a Bachelor of Science degree from Fisk University, a Master of science degree from Florida State University and a doctorate degree in sports and recreation management from Temple University. Her professional experiences, she's been associate professor at Tennessee State University, an interim department chair and associate professor at Tennessee State University, an associate professor at Alabama A&M University, an interim chair and associate professor at Alabama A&M University. She's taught at the high school level the middle school level, the county college level. <clears throat> she is also has been the athletic director and head volleyball coach, head women's basketball coach, and head tennis, tennis coach at Fisk University. She's also been an instructor and head women's basketball coach at Bethune College, a Cookman College. Some of her accomplishments, she's been inducted into Fisk University's Sports Hall of Fame. She's also been inducted into Temple University's Sports Hall of Fame. She also has received <coughs> numerous awards, Phi Beta Kappa Award. She's the first NCAA chair of a Division III Women's Basketball Committee, and that was 1980 to 1986. She's a member of the American Basketball Association USA Women's Basketball Committee, and she was the first 
African-American athletic director at an NCAA Division III school, Fisk University. She has numerous publications. One of them, Barriers to Women's Health, Fitness, the Bulldog Way. Also, she has a, some written um, publications as well. Uh, additionally, one of those are Barriers Preventing Adult Female Students from Participating in Recreational Programs on College Campuses. So Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton, welcome to Cliff, Bert, and Friends. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Dr. Cliff. All so right. Proud of you. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you. Um, Dr. Hamilton, I want to just get started. This, this book is tremendous, and I hope everyone reads it. Um, tell us, you started out in Nashville schools, uh, public schools. No, first tell us about your dad and how he helped gain your interest in the sports as a young lady. Well, uh, my father was a Negro League uh, baseball player for about 17 years. And mm. so he was a sportsman and he believed in sports. And how I got started was my father, when he took my brother out to learn how to catch, throw, pitch, whatever, slide on a base, he also took me out at the same time. So he was ahead of Title IX. I mean, I, I, that's, that was in the 50s uh, as a child. He knew nothing about Title IX, but he knew men and women uh, can be and should be held to the same standards. And that's what he did with me. He held my brother and I to the same standards. Do your best, be your best. And so um, he believed in sports and he didn't see uh, why girls could not play sports. So I kind of grew up like that. When I got to the first grade, the first thing I asked everybody in the class was, uh, well, what sports do you play? They said sports. And they kind of looked at me like, uh, what are you talking about? I knew then that I would I was different. And it was okay because it was okay with my dad. Mm -hmm. And and so in, in, in reading the book and, and understanding your story, you get to Glencliff High School in Nashville, Tennessee. And tell us about your trying out for the teams there and what happened. Well, so this we is 1970 or 69? Pre, well, pre in the, yeah. 68, 60, it, it was in the 60s. And okay. we were the first black students. Um, we were caught in the middle of integration. Mm -hmm. So they decided uh, during my seventh and eighth grade that they were, they were going to integrate. And so we left our all black school and we had to go to the white school that was near us. And we didn't have a major problem in terms of people being outside and yelling and protesting. We didn't have any of that. They just drove us up. We got out and we went into the school. Um, and I was pretty good at basketball because we had a recreational center that we went to as a group, you know, the group in the, the neighborhood. And so I got to be pretty good at basketball. I kind of liked playing basketball and I knew I was fast. I had great eye-hand coordination. And so a couple of us, you know, decided to try out for the team, but 
um, you know, when it came down to selection, our name was not on the list. And so uh, I didn't give it a second thought during that time because I had other things going on. Uh, but in, in looking back, uh, you know, race probably played uh, a part because there were no black girls on the team. And so in reflection, I kind of got that later on. I see. But yeah, I, I, it didn't devastate me or anything. Um, I had nothing had changed. I was still good at basketball. So uh, just moving along. And my father would say, just keep it moving. Just keep it moving. All right. So we, we get finished with Glencliff High School. This is in Nashville, Tennessee for our listeners. Yes. And you come to Fisk University. First, tell us what made you come to Fisk University and then athletically what you found when you got there. Well, my um, when I was at the all black school, Cameron High School in Nashville, Tennessee, which was the all black that had it going on at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the counselor never lost touch with us. So she came to Glencliff to pick us up and take us to a program on Fisk University's campus. And when we got there on the program was Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier. And that blew my mind because I knew who they were. And I thought, this is the place for me. Um, I was excited. I turned in my application and just I just prayed, dear God, let me get accepted into Fisk University because they've got it going on and I want to be a part of what's going on. And I got accepted and I was very, very excited about that. And when I got there, um, they started a women's basketball team. They started a women's volleyball team first. They already had a women's tennis team and that started in 1969. And so when I got there, um, they were trying, they had, you know, signs up about trying out and we're going to have women's volleyball, women's basketball. And so of course I tried out and, uh, and was, uh, selected to be on the team. Now, when I got there, um, they had, uh, really made the physical education teacher, Ms. Cobbs, they made her her the coach, I don't think she really had a choice. Okay. And all, all these years, I kind of had a negative um, reaction to the fact that she was not a basketball coach, but I have learned that wasn't her fault. This was a practice that was done at most schools. They just made the, the physical education teacher um, be the coach of some team if they wanted to continue to be employed, which was not fair. Um, and, and which was uh, a tr- kind of a tragedy because we had a terrible team. Uh, I played for four years. I never quit. Um, I loved, I still love playing basketball, even though we were not very good, but it taught me uh, lessons. And I learned what not to do in -hmm. terms of basketball. I learned the game very well in terms of strategy from a coach's perspective, 
So it proved to be a, uh, you know, a growing uh, part of my life in terms of basketball. And I decided I was going to be a good coach. If I ever got the opportunity to coach at the college level, my girls were going to have good experience and they were going to have a good coach. Okay. So those are the things that happened during that time. Now, I want you to explain for those on the line and those who listen to this podcast later, because this is very common from Fisk, University of Tennessee, MTSU, and all the coaches, athletic directors in this book at that time. Um, you got secondhand stuff. And in the book, I'm going to let you describe your first uniforms, where they came from, and what you described they looked like on the first women's basketball team at Fisk. Well, they gave us, they brought us the uniforms, and they were the hand-me-down uh, uniforms from the men's team hmm. uh, because they hadn't ordered or whatever, but we uh, looked like uh, orphans. Hmm. The, the jersey went down to some of our knees, some further down over mm -hmm. our knees. Mm -hmm. We looked awful. We looked mm -hmm. awful. And I I didn't know any better. I know we didn't look good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I really didn't think we looked bad. We had a uniform that had numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, later on, uh, thinking back on that, I thought we looked, we must have looked a site where we had to have the boys uniform and they didn't fit. They just yeah. didn't fit, but they had numbers and <laughs> you know, which you required to have numbers, no names, yeah. just numbers yeah. and Fisk university at the front. So we met the requirement, but we looked awful. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the problems that I see or have read in a common thread, all of a sudden, Title IX, 1972, but that's just legislation. So you guys coming along had to kind of enforce that legislation. Um, and what was some of the resistance? One common thread is all of a sudden now, the men have to share the gym or the men have to share the football field. So tell me about Fisk, and then we're going to get into what happened a little later on when you were down at Bethune-Cookman. But go ahead, tell us about Fisk. Was that a was that a problem getting uh, practice time? Well, uh, you ought to know because <laughs> you, <laughs> you you witnessed one yes, of my my major blow ups <laughs> because the I'm not gonna say the name. The men's basketball coach decided to take our time that was given to us by our athletic director uh coach john martin who was my mentor okay well hold, um, hold a second hold a second doc but that's when you came back to fist the coach but i'm gonna go the first time around when you were there as an athlete did you have trouble getting on the floor we're gonna get when you came back to fist but when you first started out and all of a sudden you have this team and they have to share floor time how was that uh, as an athlete yeah. as an athlete well they gave us the late time mm -hmm. they gave us the last time mm -hmm. uh and then and we had to of course we had to walk across campus at night from our basketball 
um, practice. Wow. Which was not right and it wasn't no. fair and it wasn't safe. If no. it had no, you know, it, 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 it just made no sense to put girls at your school, particularly the first teens, um, at risk. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so. So a lot of things uh, went on again, not having a, a, a coach that knew women's basketball or knew basketball in general, uh, and then given the last slot, which was at night after everybody else uh, was able to use the gym, even though the free time, we mm. were behind the free time, All you know, right. that they opened up the gym. For people mm -hmm. to shoot, we were behind the free time. So, uh, yeah, of course, I I learned. I that was my growing ground at sure, Fisk University. Sure. And, and those those on the line not familiar with the campus anatomy, the boys' dorm sits right next to the gym. The girls' dorms you have to walk way across campus. So they were letting our young ladies walk late at night across campus when they could have easily let them practice in the gym first okay so now you give the florida is a florida state to work on your master's yes. degree yes and you complete that and now you end up at bethune cookman coaching bethune yes the wild tell us Cats. about it because the book gets interesting here <laughs> <laughs> this is what as 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 i told the author this is when it got fun it got yeah. to be real fun. i was hired uh when i finished my uh masters at florida state but Thune cookman was looking for uh, a women's basketball coach uh little did i know that they meant for someone to start the women's basketball program they didn't say that um, so I got the job because, of course, coming with a master's from Florida State um, held a lot of weight, and I played four years. It wasn't a whole lot of girls coming out of college um, that had played and got a master's. So the field was kind of wide open for those of us that did that. And I got to Florida State, and like I, I would tell my classes when I taught sport administration, I told them, I said, first, they said, well, how did you get the job, you know, with just a small amount of, of uh, background? And I said, one of the things is I was cute. Mm. I was uh, small, cute, and I batted my eyes, okay? <laughs> and so those three things, I think, got the job. And I think they saw someone that was a little, you know, I'm only 5'3" this little old girl and i do say little old girl got a cute little girl you know she'll she'll come in and she'll she won't be a problem well <laughs> little did they know that trouble had arrived because the first thing they told me the ad said well now look little girl you can just go over to the corner you know start up a little basketball program and you know we'll we'll just grow over the years well, I wasn't going for growing over the years. First of all, I demanded uh, that we have scholarships like the men. Mm -hmm. I demanded that we had our uh, appropriate time to practice. Mm -hmm. I demanded uniforms from the beginning. Of course, learning from my Fisk experience. Um, 
I, we're going to have a schedule. We're going to be a, we're going to have travel expenses. Uh, I need a budget. And then that's when all hell broke loose uh, with the AD and the football coaches, because they were like, who does she think she is coming in here demanding all of these things? You know, she ain't up but that big. And uh, she's, she's got a loud uh, uh, <laughs> and a pushy de uh, demeanor here. <laughs> See, you know me. Um, <laughs> Keep and, going, Doc. And so um, I, somehow it, it got to the president. Now, what's not in the book is how I got my demands met. Okay. My team was uh, the third or the second best in the state from the beginning. Because those girls were just sitting on campuses because black girls weren't getting scholarships. So I had six one, six oh. I had a forward that was 5'11". She was awesome. I had a guard. These girls just tried out. We're not talking about scholarship. They were on the campus waiting like I was when I when they started. And we had a dynamite team. And so we won 80% of our games. And now it's time to go to postseason. Well, I was told we're not going to postseason. And I had to tell my girls. And they were mad. And they said, well, what can we do? I said, well, I can't do anything about it. But uh, you need to march over to the president's house. And guess what? They marched on the president's house. <laughs> the next day. The next day, AD came in and he threw all kind of uh, paperwork in my face and was really angry and threatened to fire me. If I ever go over his head, I didn't go over your head. Well, you told your girls to go to the president's office and the uh, lawyer for the school told everybody, give her what she wants and leave <laughs> her alone. <laughs> Because there's a law called Title IX. Come on now. Yes. That's, and that was it. That was it from the very beginning. Bethune-Cookman had scholarships. Bethune-Cookman had uh, great uniforms. Bethune-Cookman had it all. And they've always had a successful program. So that's how that got done. Now, I'm going to give you one more. Uh, uh, well, no, let's go to one-minute music commercial break. Half-minute. We could do that on podcast and come right back to talk about the incident in the gym with the football <laughs> team. But we're going to come back in about 30 seconds, okay? All right. All right, we back. This is so good. It, it, we could cut our commercials short. That's the beauty of podcasts. Okay. So you tell us about your, your women's team in the gym and Bethune-Cookman's football team getting ready to play FAMU, a big game. But tell us what happened with this incident here. Well, 
what happened was, what had happened was, as my students would say, <laughs> um, I had my time. I had my time in the gym. No one could touch it. No one could bother me. That was the law. They couldn't stand it. They hated it. So they, it, they were practicing in the field and it started raining cats and dogs. Well, before the women's program, they could come in the gym and do whatever they want, finish practice, go over the place. But I was there with my basketball team. It wasn't even our season. Okay. Not yet, but it was my time in the gym. So <laughs> they had a coach there, uh, legacy, uh, He's no longer with us, but uh, Cy McLaren was uh, a legend there, a good man. He was the only one that treated me nice. <laughs> the rest of them couldn't stand me. They refused to speak to me in the hall, uh, which was fine with me. I was good with that. But Cy was also one of the assistant uh, on the um, football team. And so they decided to send him in to the gym to ask if I could shorten my practice and allow them to come in because they can't step foot in there. And so he comes in and his name for me was Lil Red. Tell us about uh, it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, he said I reminded him of Red Arback, fiery personality, you know, wanted to win, didn't like to lose, all those things. And that was a compliment coming from him. But he came in and he looked so nervous. Now he's six, he, he's about six two or six three. So I was a tall guy. I think he played in the NBA, I'm not sure. Or he played a professional football. But anyway, he came in and he bent down when he got to me and he started stuttering. He said, uh, 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 look, little, 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 little Red. Coach, what, what's wrong? What you stammering about? He said, no, 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 look here, Little Red. Look, we outside. It's raining cats and dogs. We got to come inside to finish practice. We can't get nothing done out there. We're going to play fam, you mm. know, the big snake. And so, um, He's, I looked at him and he said, no, 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 look here, little Red, D -d do this for me. Because <laughs> he knew I was getting ready to say, oh, heck no. <laughs> but <laughs> Dr. Kimber, is that said, really what you're going to say? I know what you're really going to say, but <laughs> we're on TV, we on radio tonight. Keep going. <laughs> so I said, I will do this for you. I will do this for you because you are the only one that treated me like a professional and i'm gonna do this for you but i told them there's a door in the back of the gym that leads to the outside i said i don't want to see anybody knocking on the door trying to come in the door you know i just emphasize i said i will open the door when the door is open that's your sign to come on in but if if that door is not open Nobody better be trying to come in that gym, sitting on the side, trying to, you know, make me feel like, well, we ready for you to get off floor. No, 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 no. Gym is mine. So I shortened it because we weren't in, even in our, se you know, our season and we were trying to get ready. And 30 minutes after he talked to me, I told my captain, open up that back door. First, I want everybody gone. 
So, but you know, some of the girls hung around the seat. They knew something was mm-hmm. up. You know how kids are. No, mm-hmm. something's going up. So I, I put them out of the gym, told them, you know, it's, it's over for today. And so I stood in the um, door to the hallway and I fold my arms. And I'm nothing but five, three, but I wanted them to see that they are in the gym at my leisure. Not at, Nobody put me out. Mm-hmm. At my leisure. I'm letting you in the gym. So they all came in and oh my gosh, it looked like mugs. They were they were muddy, dripping in mud, dripping in everything. They had on capes and oh, they looked awful. And so they all came in. The head coach came in first and he gave me a look like if I had a gun, I would shoot you right now. <laughs> And I said, if I knew you had a gun, I have a gun and I shoot at you. <laughs> so we gave each other that look. And then the rest of them came in and they started turning their head like, how did we get to this? How did she get? <laughs> how did we get to this point? And so everybody came in and uh i stayed i stood my ground right there in the hallway i said i'm not leaving until all of them know that i'm standing here and i let you in so uh the quarterback uh became an athletic director and he told me later at, at an nca convention he saw me and he said hey coach and he said i am an athletic director now and i just want to let you know that I treat my women well because I don't ever want to get put in a position. He said, you had them all. It was nothing they could do with you. He said, Mm -hmm. you were the tallest thing in the gym when I walked in. He said, I looked at the rest of them and I said, she is the tallest person in the gym. And I'm only 5'3", so (laughs) he obviously saw something different. But that's that's how that went down. Okay. So you finish up at Bethune-Cookman, and then you end up coming back to Fisk with the John Martin Athletic Director. Invite. How did that happen? You ended up back at Fisk. Am I correct there? Was that yes, the next he, stop? Yes, okay. he called me. He okay. called me. In fact, he called the AD and said, you know, what is her salary? We want her to come back. They were ready to get rid of me. I mean, they were like... <laughs> Uh, if you pay her this, which was double the amount, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she'll come back. I mean, they were trying to get me that job. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, Coach Martin being my mentor and, and he used to teach me, um, I got the job and I came back at Fisk and he taught me, he was my mentor in, in being a administrator because before then, he called me a loose cannon. Um, Vigilante, called- <laughs> I read. I read it. I read the book now. <laughs> uh, but- a vigilante. Yeah, he called me all kind of names. A vigilante, uh, you know, loose cannon. Uh, but those were, I was just placed in that position. And, you know, my father was a no-nonsense person. He didn't take anything off of anybody. And so I learned, don't take anything off anybody, because if you allow them to, yeah, they'll stick it to you. But so when I came back, I had the women's basketball and we started building and building 
the team. And we had coaches. Um, we had coaches that, uh, particularly the men's basketball coach. And I was playing uh, there from 81 to 85 at this time. <laughs> I'll admit it. Go ahead. I'm not, okay. not going to say, no, no, no. We're not going to mention no, any names. But no names. No names. He know, he know who he is. <laughs> he know who he is. But anyway. Jim's laughing too. All right. Uh, he took one of my times for basketball. My girls were there. He got on the floor, and you all didn't know it, but he took, he had all you all there to take my time. And that was clearly my day, my time to go early. And he took that time. And I, all of my girls, and they were like, what's going on, coach? I said, you know what? Y'all go, y'all go ahead and, and, and go to the calf and you get to get there, you know, in plenty enough time. And they wasn't buying it either. They, after I ran them out of the gym, um, I was just waiting until you all ended your practice and you know what happened then. Uh, you all did, you all did your in, in a practice thing where you all come together, hold your hand up and, you know, say your little rah-rah and all that good stuff. And I creeped from the bottom of the, of the whole group and came straight up and after you all said whatever you said i i i blew my top i blew my top and exploded on him and it was not pretty and you know i've forgotten that coach martin's son the ad played on the team played the on the team i said oh no i i didn't know until i got home because i mm. thought i got a call from him Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is he calling me? He can't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He said, Marty can't. Marty told me, oh, geez. <laughs> but he taught me a lesson. He said, you did not let me do my job. He said, oh, he was that. in the wrong and you were in the right. But you didn't give me the opportunity to do my job. You as went. As an AD. Got it. As an AD. Mm -hmm. You went. You went off the deep end and, mm -hmm. and thought that you had to handle it. He said, I'd have gotten that straight next day. Mm -hmm. And he said, you got too much talent to uh, go vigilante out here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you definitely always have had, and I can tell you this from the men's locker room, our respect. I knew you were always serious minded. I knew your teams played serious minded and we saw the women's program going in the right direction, volleyball, basketball, and I believe you did tennis for both men and women. Yes. And um, so we knew that, <coughs> excuse me, we knew that. I want to get to something, uh, a couple of subjects before we, we have to get off here tonight. I want you to talk about your best hire ever, because when I was at Fisk and went to graduate school, is when you started as the athletic director around 85, 86. But you brought in a, a special young lady who's also one of the pioneers in this book. And I want you to talk about the magnitude of that greatest hire. And and because to me, great leaders are great once they re can reproduce that. And you definitely have done that in this great hire. So let's talk about her. Well, I, I had, uh, of course, you know, Coach Martin, went on to Delaware State. He was mm -hmm. hired 
and he recommended me for the job, which I appreciated because he said, you're ready now. I don't think he would have hired me or recommended me if I was still vigilante. I had turned from my vigilante ways <laughs> because I learned what an athletic director does and what he or she can do uh, for a program. I learned from him. And uh, so I had moved out of being in basketball and we were looking for a new basketball uh, coach at the time. And I, you know, I've known of Teresa Lawrence. I watched her when she played for Vanderbilt. Um, so she had, she was getting awards as play as a player. And um, she had just left this, the, uh, the uh, Vanderbilt program uh, and was available. And I didn't know if she was working full-time she was a financial planner i didn't know if she was doing it full-time but we had to check it out and uh, she said she was interested in and i think she was ready to be a head coach you know you can only be an assistant so long sure. um if you're good at what you do and so i uh, met with her we had lunch and we just talked about basketball and she just you know really shared her philosophy and i thought if we could get her give her the opportunity to be a head coach uh she won't stay with us long because mm -hmm. i knew she had the goods and um we gave her the first opportunity to be a head coach and that didn't last long because she had two um championship teams and had all kind of awards coach of the year several yeah. times yeah. in our conference and tennessee state took uh notice sure and and i was at a game and uh the ad at tennessee state came to our game came to our game and i thought what are you doing here and he kind of laughed it off but i knew that still still a, still a coach <laughs> well and that's what happens i mean sure. if you're good at what you do you should move on up and and onward sure. and and I was the first to tell her. She said, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should take the head job at Tennessee State because they are in need of a successful program also. Sure. And we need more women. We need more women of color uh, to be head coaches at that time. Uh, we still need that now. But of course, she went on and, and won championships and was the first team um, maybe the only team at Tennessee State that went on to the region when they won okay. the conference. The big dance, and, NCAA. Yeah. Okay, basketball, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and also, she made it, ahead. yeah, and became the athletic director there eventually. Yes. And I believe she was the first women, now she was an athletic director, but she coached the men's team one game over an unusual circumstance she came out of AD and coached the men's team so they could find a new coach. So yes. she's special. She's yes. special. Yes. Um, now, <clears throat> she's also recruited another woman in the book who I didn't know. But when Coach Phillips was at Vanderbilt as a graduate assistant, she recruited Carolyn Peck, 
who you see on ESPN is an analyst. Carolyn Peck averaged mm -hmm. about 35 or 25 points in high school. And she was right down the road, 30 minutes from University of Tennessee. And Coach Phillips was one of the key recruiters as a graduate student that convinced her to come to Vanderbilt rather than play for Pat Summit. So there's a line of history in this book and in, 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 in the state of Tennessee that uh, we are, we're just so proud of. Now, one thing you didn't mention, and I said in your introduction, and you didn't even know it, but what was happened when you became the athletic director historically happened when you were named to that position? Well, um, by that time, um, there were other women ADs, most of them were white, at other institutions. And so um, being a woman of color, uh, I got a lot of attention for that, uh, especially at Fisk University. And it, it just added a little bit more respect to the university and to our program. Um, and also, uh, I was able to do other things because of that position. I became the first chair of the women's NCAA basketball. I was the first chair when NCAA started uh, uh, the women's basketball championships. Um, I was uh, asked to be a member of the uh, ABA USA Women's uh, Olympic Committee, and that's the committee that selects the Olympic team, uh, the Pan American team, you know, the, the teams that go out and get ready for the Olympics. And so I served on that uh, committee, and that's where I met Pat Head for the first time, really, along with Kay Yao, um, uh, Sue Gunner, who was one of my favorite. Sure person she's no longer with us but she's a she's a pioneer but that was one of my favorite person along with Kay Yao just really really good people um and so I C. got Vivian to meet Stringer was coach Stringer see Vivian Stringer uh yeah Vivian Stringer and I were uh roommates when I wow. when we first met for the first time and she's a hoot you know oh. <laughs> she I read, is I read a book stand tall I read it I read yes. it. I know what you're coming from. And, yes. and by the way, and, and Doc, I'm going to let you talk, but for those on the line, they just honored Coach Stringer at Rutgers last Sunday for putting her name ingrained in the court at the arena for all well she's deserved. done for college basketball. Well-deserved. Well, go ahead, Doc. Well-deserved. Yes. Ahead, so she, she and I had a whole lot in common in terms of personality. We were both competitors. We went out and played. She... Uh, went out on the tennis court and said, well, I think I can beat you. And I said, really? And uh, when we went out on the tennis court, of course, I beat her. Uh, but she's so competitive. Uh, I thought I was competitive, but she tried her best. She said, next time we, uh, we meet, I think I'll be able to beat you. And I thought, the nerve, what? <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot in common in terms of personality. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed being around her and getting to know her. She She's a wonderful person. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so the 50 women in this book, there's so many. Um, yes. Coach, or, or Dr. Hamilton, when you see 
the Dawn Staley's today who are who are making a couple of million, not as much as they should, comparable to the men. Uh, you see the women's basketball receipt. Uh, they could use the March Madness brand for the first time last year, after all yes. the years. Uh, you see this kind of progress. I think College Game Day came to South Carolina last year during basketball season with Dawn. Yes. You, you got to feel a sense of pride knowing all that yourself, the pioneers at every level have done to get, get the games where it is. And, and we're talking basketball, but there's track and field, uh, softball, some of those non-big revenue sports that all of these women's stories in this book are just as amazing. Um, and I mean, th th they've had one story where the women had to go pick up rocks to make their money to be able to buy uniforms to get the program started it's crazy so um, yes we're so glad that you guys have ever all persevered we have a few minutes left let's turn to pat summit and i mean her records stand for themselves uh what is it, 1100 1200 wins the late late pat summit at tennessee yes but Yes. This is something I found out, <laughs> excuse me, when I was in high school, 1978 to 81 in Nashville, I used to always say in the back of my mind, I was at White Creek High School, there was a, the guys would talk about the best basketball player. And I used to say, no, they're not on our team. It's a young lady named Jackie Cowan who went to our high school. And yeah. Everybody would look crazy, and I'm like, mm -mm, she's by far the best basketball player as a ninth grader. Yes. But what I didn't understand is they had the women playing or the girls playing three on three, like three defensive, three offensive. They can't cross half court, and then mm -hmm. the other three on three, the other end. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, who came up with this crazy rule? Little, little did I know that there were only two or three states still playing three on three girls couldn't cross half court i didn't know until i read the book that pat summit used her influence as a coach at tennessee to back someone who made a complaint against the uh governing tennessee tennessee secondary school athletic association she yeah. would not recruit a player from the state of tennessee because they were too far behind five on five the rest of the country and Pat Summit's influence changed that rule. And it was actually when I came to Fisk and Jackie Cowan was a year behind me, her senior year, she was able to play 5-1-5. But Pat Summit has just influenced this thing so much. And um, I just hope people read about her and don't forget about her. Uh, she did so much more than just 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 win games you know oh yes well she's she set a standard mm -hmm. for olympic teams yeah uh because she set a standard at tennessee yeah. and it's a standard that um most of the successful coaches uh that came behind her uh began to follow uh hard-nosed defense um being accountable everyone being accountable because you know when women's uh basketball got started 
everyone thought that the women were so frail and mm -hmm. um, men coaches tend to look at the girls like their daughters and, you mm -hmm. know, when they cried or whatever. Well, then came along women's basketball coaches like Pat, myself <laughs> and some others. We, we weren't going for that act. I mean, you know, we weren't. No, 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 no. I was a tough little old bird. So I know <laughs> you can be a tough little old bird. So my girl, I recruited girls that, that were hard nosed and they would play hard. Yeah. And I, and so, you know, that wasn't, I, we were recruiting players. We weren't recruiting girl players that went out the window and Pat had a, 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 a major influence in being a basketball player, not just a female basketball player. And her players, you, I mean, you could just look at them uh, that went on to coach. Uh, they all had the same philosophy. And uh, most women that, that had to coach, we all had that hard-nosed uh, philosophy too, because we had to succeed. Yeah. We had to succeed. We weren't going back. Mm -hmm. we, there was no place in women's sports about going back. And so uh, Pat was one of those leaders yeah. in that. And a lot of coaches took her philosophy and, and used her philosophy and became successful because of her philosophy. You know, when I read the book and I've known this, or I heard it about Coach Summit throughout the years, but with all the wins and eight national championships, or any of her players who played their four years of eligibility in her 30 years of coaching or such, every one of them, she has a 100% graduation rate. That's incredible. To me, that's the greatest record that I see. That most don't talk about. Yes. Uh, that's demanding excellence. And so, whew, wow, we're going to wrap the lot. I do want to get your opinion, Dr. Kimbrough. Um, Hamilton, Kim, uh, Kimbrough Hamilton. I'm saying it all <laughs> I wrong. Your name, I, I, I'm sorry. You got me scared to say I the know. wrong thing. I was no, Kimbrough. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, but I do want your opinion on this. There have been three rule changes in the last few years of basically two of them, the name, image, and likeness, and the transfer portal. And I want you to give me, because I've it, it was in the book, the pros and cons that you see of that for the student athlete, those two rule changes now. Well, uh, the uh, likeness, Name, image, um, and likeness. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's about time. They really were too late in doing this. Should have done this a long time ago. Because a lot of people made money off of these athletes. And the athlete didn't know it. Um, I had a kid in my graduate class that played for Tennessee State University. <coughs> happened to be one of the really good, had all kind of moves on the football field. And found out that they were using his image and his likeness and he wow. was not getting so they sent him um they sent him a piece of paper to say they sent him a contract of some sort to say it was okay and that they were going to pay him something and he said he didn't pay any attention to it wow. and i let him know in the class it was a graduate class 
do you know you just got had? Mm. Because mm. The, those student athletes, those student athletes had no clue that the NCAA was doing this. Uh, the games were doing this. They didn't know. And I'm so glad somebody blew the whistle on this thing. And so now it is up to the student athlete and about time. I'm for it. I'm for it. And what about the transfer portal where you don't have to sit out a year and it's almost like a free agency at the end of every season uh, now, but does it level the playing field? You know, I hear different views uh, such as now a kid is not taught to stick it out or et cetera. What's your view on the transfer portal? Well, I agree with that. One of the negativity of this thing is that the student athlete becomes the uh, expert on how good they are. No, no, they're not the expert. I can't tell you how many girls I had come through my program, one particularly from Washington, D.C., that said she was better than my All-American guard. And I told her, I said, baby, no, you're not. She said, well, you won't even give me a chance. So you know what I did. (laughs) I kicked everybody out of the gym, and I told both of them, Y'all going to play one-on-one, the first, the 22, or 24, or whatever. And uh, whoever wins is going to be my point guard for the rest of the year. Well, that's all I had to say to the All-American, okay? <laughs> she she beat her 24 to 2. <laughs> so the, the student cannot be the expert on how good they are. I, I would say at least... Uh, after two years, then maybe you can go, uh, you know, to another school. But the first year, um, you, you don't know enough. Right. You you don't know enough, and you got to be careful of the people that are in your ear. Yeah. Because you can pour yourself out of even having oh. a playing spot. Sure. Like so many I have heard, where. They were saying this is his fourth school or this is his third school trying out to be the quarterback. Well, somebody should have told you something. Stay and fight it out. And then if you don't feel like you're getting a fair shake, then go. You know, prove yourself wherever you are. Um, And there's no ground to prove themselves. And so, and it puts the coaches at at a disadvantage. Absolutely. You can't build a team. My best teams were the were the girls that stayed there four years. You can't build, you cannot build a team, a quality team. You can't keep a quality team. So now coaching is different. It is. Coaching is different. Hmm. And so you've got to be careful of people that are talking to the athletes. You got to be careful of the athletes uh believing in their own greatness or you know, it's just too many factors that can end up bad for the athlete. I feel bad for that. Not the coaches in particular, but I feel bad for the athletes because they could put themselves at risk of not being wanted anywhere. And sometimes and sometimes you're not the better player until the second or the third year. So you got to think about that. You know, you you may not be the best athlete that first year Mm -hmm. or the best point or the best whatever. Mm -hmm. 
and you need time to mature. So that's that's my point on that, on those two points. We're going to open up if anybody has a question or two in the chat or we have a few co-host speakers, Jim, Marlo, if I can, uh, if things were connected, if you have a question or two for Dr. Hamilton, uh, let's have them now. This has been a wonderful discussion. Anybody? Your lines are open. Marlo's line. Jim, maybe they can't get through or type it in the chat. All right, somebody's trying to get through. Yeah, this thing has been funny getting. All right, maybe we're not connected well tonight. Uh, someone else is, has a question, I think. If you do, come on and ask it. Okay. All right. Well, we want to say thank you so much, Dr. Hamilton. This has been so enlightening. Again, the title of the book, Title IX, Pat's Summit, and Tennessee's Trailblazers, 50 years, 50 stories, and we heard one of those trailblazers tonight. Go out and get the book, continue to educate yourself and educate others as women's sports are still advancing. Title IX is not through. And so we'll be back next week, Monday, 8 p.m., Cliff Burton Friends featuring the best in women's sports and HBCU sports. And to those who want to hear more than that on Wednesday night, you can listen to our sister or our parent company, and that is Mark Jones and Friends. They're on 910 AM WFDF, and they're on iHeartRadio. They have Mark, Jack, Reggie, Carl, my co-host Jim. I don't know. We couldn't get him connected tonight. He's online with us, and we will be back next week exactly 168 hours from now. Again, Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much. We've learned so much from you. And uh, we're going to definitely invite you back. That's for sure. We're not through. Yeah, uh, I, I would like to come back and talk about Title IX and women of color, which is another subject. Yes. Well, okay, who's it? Dr. Marlo Kemp has a... Go ahead, Marlo. You have a question? She got through. Oh, no. I just wanted to comment, um, Dr. Hamilton. Thank you so much. I was actually a student um, athlete, but I played in Illinois um, just through grade school in high school so i i just i just can't say thank you enough this has been a wonderful wonderful interview it is i was just over here laughing when my my phone was muted i've been typing in the chat um so it's it's just been wonderful i can't wait for part two so thank you so much for what you and coach summit and coach stringer and just all the greats have done for uh for us girls Thank you. Thank you so much. And the men. And the men are developing too. And the men, but however, the girls. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hamilton, we'll have part two. Everybody, thank you so much from Cliff Burton Friends. We'll see you in 168 hours from now. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so much fun. All right.